Welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chess Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout outs, fun facts, and weekly banner in 10 minutes or less. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome, uh, Alyssa Montgomery and uh, Dr. Sarah Majerzik to Fracture Line. We're excited to have you both. I know you're here to talk to us today about uh, T-Rex. I'm excited to hear about the project and, uh, and your updates for it. So um, I'm sure some of our listeners know who you both are, but if you don't mind giving us a quick one-liner who you are, uh, where you were practicing, what your practice looks like, or what you're doing. All right, well, I am Sarah Majerzik. I'm one of uh, Dr. Tom White's partners at Intermountain Medical Center. I have been here uh, for about a decade. I come originally from Vermont. I spent most of my life in New England, although it's getting up there. We've been in, we've been in Utah now more than a decade, so it, it's been a while now. And I do trauma and critical care with Tom, and I am the uh, PI for the T-Rex trial. So I am Elisa Montgomery, and I've been with Intermountain for two and a half years in the pulmonary critical care research department, and I handle all of the IRB um, regulatory type responsibilities. And may I say she's really selling herself short. She has really project managed the T-Rex project and has kept it moving in a way that I could never do on my own. So I am eternally grateful to Elisa for her help with this. And really, we couldn't keep all the parts moving that we're trying to keep moving uh, if not for her. So I am very, very grateful for her help with this. I think she's underselling her role in this study. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome, welcome to you both. So let's let's dive right into it. Let's talk about the project uh, and where we're headed right now. For those that don't know, um, T Rex, I believe, was Dr. Tom White's idea. It was it was originally called to drain or not to drain through the Chest Wall Injury Society, and that you know is not a super exciting title. I do believe that Tom White came up with T Rex, and that is an acronym which means thoracostomy for removal of excess fluid. So really, you know, and it's the EX fluid. So we took a little bit of a liberty with it there. But I think I think it's great. I like that moniker a lot. So I'm grateful <laughs> that you have like, it's to drain or not to drain. I was sort of meh about that study title. So this is something that probably first came up, gosh guys, what, like three or four years yeah, now, um, that we started to talk about this. And it's a very, you know, germane, simple question. But Tom, how do you know when to take out a chest tube? Uh, when, when, uh, when I, when it feels right, when, the, <laughs> when, when it's been in long enough, but not too long. Right. And so if you asked me, I generally would say 200 cc's. And if you asked me why, if you asked me to substantiate that claim, I would say, because when I was an intern now 21 years ago, which is, you know, I'm going, I'm going to go on a tangent, but in July, it's always, I think it's always, we all look back, it feels like New Year's Day in academic medicine. It's like, wow, it's crazy to think that I have been out of training as long as I have. But anyway, you know, over two decades ago, a third year resident told me that this is when we pull chest tubes, that 200 cc. I have kept that little kernel and many other kernels of dogma like that with me. And basically it served me well, so I've continued to do it. And I think most of us have similar reasons. And so they're not evidence-based. This is not anything anyone's looked at. You know, once we go into the realm of surgically stabilizing rib fractures, now there is a fairly substantial body of literature about who to do, when to do it, when is it most beneficial. But then these sort of more simple practices around the procedure have never been adequately studied. And that was kind of the genesis of the T-Rex trial. So we're looking at basically 
Uh, do you put in a chest tube afterwards? Do you use a standard chest tube? Do you use a Blake drain? Do you use some other kind of drainage device after you perform surgical stabilization of rib fractures? And we figure for that, that percentage is going to be quite high. I mean, that's a pretty common, but maybe not. So how, and then how long do you leave that chest tube? And then we're asking other questions such as VATS. For example, Tom, do you routinely do VATS? Why or why not? As I was explaining to Dr. Chesney yesterday, um, you know, it's, I do it selectively. If I have a patient who has very low risk of diaphragm injury and they don't have uh, retained thor hemothorax or it's an early procedure and there's, there's clearly not a big lung laceration, then no, I don't do it. And so, and then we have other surgeons that we know in the CWIS and other places as well that do it routinely as yeah. part of their practice with every single case. And if you ask them, they have a reason also, but none of these are particularly evidence-based. But again, it served Tom well for, what, 15 years yeah. now of doing these procedures, and so he'll continue to do that. But so what we're just trying to gather data on that. The other, um, the other main outcome measure we're looking at is intraoperative pleural lavage which is something that we do have done routinely at Intermountain Medical Center. I think we're a little bit of pioneers on that front. Um, you know, and really it sounds more elegant than it is. It's really dumping in a couple liters of fluid and sucking it out until it runs clear. And that has served us quite well in terms of retained hemothoraces and um, downstream complications with pleural fluid after rib plating surgery. But again, it's something that hasn't adequately been studied. So really, this is a really simple study at its at its heart, and it's real. There is no intervention arm. There is no randomization of any of any sort. It's basically a registry study to look at people's practices about these you know procedures in and around surgical uh, stabilization of rib fractures. So. Do you leave a chest tube? How long do you leave it? Do you do VATS? Do you do intra and do you do intraoperative pleural lavage? And really, it's as simple as that. And that this came about, as we said, three four years ago. Um, originally, another institution was going to try to take the reins on it. Um, that didn't work out, unfortunately. Intermountain took it over. How many institutions and uh, how many patients enrolled? Can you give us that? Alisa, uh, do you know that? So we have four sites that are up and activated, and then we have three sites that have IRB approval from both their sites and from Intermountain, but it's the contracting process that's holding those sites up. So if we could get those sites on board, we'd have seven sites that are activated. So if somebody's listening to the podcast today and they're interested, they're not, they heretofore haven't expressed interest, but they're interested now. Is it too late? No, absolutely not. I would say no. At least would you agree with that? Yeah, no, it is not too late. We are certainly happy to add any other sites that want to join. Okay. And just to go through quickly, it's really anybody that has rib fracture plating. They just need to have rib fractures, um, and they need to be de novo plating. They, they shouldn't be, you know, these non-unions. Some of the more experienced surgeons do some of these more complicated um, late-stage cases. It's, it's people within 14 days of injury that we wanted to include. Over 18, the usual exclusions apply of prisoners, pregnant women, whatever. But basically all comers for adults who get their ribs fixed could potentially be in this study. Um, we're hoping to enroll a total of 450 patients over the course of the study. I think once we have seven, eight, nine institutions going, that should happen within a year. Um, I do feel like we lost a year with COVID, but we're sort of sure. cooking along now. I think it has significant relevance because we now, you know, now that we're operating on patients with lesser degrees of, of infirmity, I mean, in other words, not, not necessarily a devastated crushed chest that's going to keep in the hospital for two weeks. We, we have patients who are operating on who we expect to be able to dismiss in a couple of days. And if we can get them out of the hospital a day or two or three sooner because we're, our chest tube management is different, right? it's, there's a potential huge savings there in costs and in complications and bed availability and all that sort of stuff. Right. So I think it's very relevant questions. How long should a chest tube 
actually stay in. Right. And whether, you know, what is the BATS procedure doing for you? You know, I had to look at the other one. You know, I mean, it's a somewhat expensive. They've got to get all the towers out. They've got to do the, you know, there's some expense. There's some OR time caught up in that. What is that really getting you? Is that something that all comers should have or should, you, you know, I think those kind of questions are really interesting to ask. And, you, and you're right. We have certainly a significant proportion of our fixed patient population. What is the rate limiting step to their hospitalization? Just the chest tube. Right. They're walking around, they walk more than I walk on rounds around the floor every day. They are ready to go except for that suitcase in there. Well I love I love this I love sacrificing sacred cows. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So I think it's really it's that's it's it's exciting because I think it, it has the potential to do that. Adam, do you have any uh, thoughts or comments about you're you're a chest surgeon. What do you what do you, what are your thoughts about chest tube management? We, well I was taught like I, I'm I'm in the same uh, age as Dr. Mazurchik. Um and I was also told about 200 cc's was the, was the number. Um, but since I've done ribs, I don't care about the number anymore. Um, I care about the pneumothorax. So I usually put everyone on, if they, if they don't have a, uh, a pneumothorax before surgery, and if I have to put a chest tube in during the operation, I just put your words the night of the surgery and then take it out the next morning usually. We actually have exciting news, um, two exciting pieces of news. So the first one is about our fall, and it needs a better name, but for now we're calling it the Mini Summit. It's the one-day seminar, fully online, um, but very much looking forward to it. Um, the date has been selected, Wednesday, November 10th. Um, so it'll be an all-day thing, so we'll have some morning components so that it's, it's conducive to our friends um, in Europe, and then it'll have um, a later in the afternoon slash evening component so that it's conducive for our friends in, in Australia and on up um, the Asian coastline. So we are super, super excited about it. Block it on your calendar now, and a save the date will be going out for Wednesday, November 10th. Um, and then Dr. White has an announcement about the location for our... Um, summit in 2022. Summit 2022 will be in, um, in in downtown Salt Lake City, Utah at the Grand America Hotel and Resort. Couldn't be more excited. It's a great venue. Um, we're coming home. We're coming home. So uh, you can make start making your travel plans. <clears throat> well, uh, let's move on to the final stitch. I'm sure you guys have heard about this past Independence Day, uh, the amount of gun violence. But 180 people were shot and killed, and 520 other people were shot, leaving it as one of the deadliest weekends uh, in America <clears throat> to date, which is just incredible uh, and super, super sad. So I wanted to at least put it out there that I feel terrible for all the uh, victims and their families. Well, I have one. Uh, I've, it's no coincidence that uh, most, if not all, the publications with my name on it in the, in the Rib literature also have Dr. Majerisic's name on it, and that's because Sarah does does most of the heavy lifting and most of the writing, frankly. So it's 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 it's, it's well past due, but she deserves an incredible amount of credit. And um, really, CWIS would not be where it is uh, without her uh, support. It's oftentimes quietly done in the background. Uh, she doesn't enjoy or ask for any sort of accolades or acknowledgement. So I'm, do, I'm embarrassing her now by telling her, thank you, Sarah, and uh, please don't leave me or I'll have to. So well, thank you, Todd, and that's, that's nice of you to say. Um, oh, I appreciate that a lot. I'll just say that I, I have been updated by Sarah Ann um, recently about, um, about the collaborative um, hospitals 
and uh, it seems like people are really interested in it. We're making major progress. I'm very proud of that. Um, it's not my idea, it was Dr. Dobin's idea, but I'm still, I can still get credit for it since I'm the president this year. Um, and uh, I, I just I ask everyone to look, I looked at the requirements, even I can do it, which is pretty impressive. So I think everyone can become a collaborative mem uh, center. So everyone get, get, get cracking.